Today's scripture comes from all over Proverbs. Proverbs 14, 17. A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. Proverbs 14, 29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Proverbs 15, 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Proverbs 19.11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 22.24-25, make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourselves in a snare. You may be seated. As you're being seated, let me pray for us. Father, we, we love your word. Um, as we, your people, sit under the instruction of your word, would be, be that good soil that is receptive uh, to hear your word as a seed that bears much fruit in our lives, uh, that it would be for your glory and for the good of ourselves, our families, and our city. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, good morning. Uh, my name is John, part of the team here. It's really good to have you with us. As you just heard, read, we are continuing in our Proverbs series. And today we're looking at a collection of Proverbs on the topic of anger. Anger. I think it's one of those topics we can all relate to in some way or another. Either you just heard the word anger and you just dipped in your seat a little bit because uh, you know this one's for you. Uh, you would uh, maybe describe yourself even as an angry person, or maybe the person next to you would describe you as an angry person. Or if you're like me, you would say something like, I'm not an angry person, but, and then go on to describe and explain all of the times that I've been angry that day. I didn't realize I was a particularly angry person until I had three children. Um, I realized that children are biologically predisposed to push all of your buttons at 3 a.m. in the morning. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm angry sometimes. Maybe you're angry right now. It is a universal human truth that the drive to church is the optimal time for a spousal argument, isn't it? And so some of you are angry. <laughs> right now. We've all experienced anger in some form or another. Maybe for some of us, we have been on the upsetting, receiving end of someone else's anger. Maybe in a serious way, an angry parent or an angry spouse, angry boss. Today, what we're going to see is what Proverbs has to say on the topic of anger. And what I want to do is I want to look at the topic, as I think Proverbs does, under two headings. The first is the anger of fools, and the second, the anger of the wise. The anger of fools and the anger of the wise. And so first, the anger of fools. Before we get into our Proverbs today, um, I thought I'd start by asking the question, what is anger? What actually is it? Uh, David Paulison, who's an author and, and biblical counselor, in his book, Good and Angry, which is a good book on anger, uh, says this. He says, anger is active displeasure towards something that's important enough to care about. 
It's active displeasure towards something that's important enough to care about. So anger is the emotion that we feel when we see something that we believe to be wrong. That, that sense of displeasure that says, that thing before us, that's not right. And when anger is described in the Old Testament, sometimes it's described as a fire that is kindled within us. A fire that's kindled within us in response to something unjust before us. And this fire, what it does is it motivates us, it drives us towards seeking justice. And so anger isn't necessarily wrong. In fact, I'd argue, and I think the Bible backs me up here, and even modern psychology backs me up here, that anger is not necessarily evil, but rather it is necessary because of evil. Anger is not necessarily evil, rather it is necessary because of evil. Anger is that necessary capacity, you might say, of moral creatures who should, who should respond to evil and injustice with displeasure. And so when Sarah and I traveled to Cambodia and we went to the museum that documents the genocides that happened there, we are right to be angry. Or when you read about the statistics of human trafficking that happen right now, we should be angry. Christ City, there is a fire that is kindled in us, that should be kindled in us when we see injustice before us. And as Christians, we know why that happens, right? We know why a fire is kindled in us is because we are moral creatures created in the image of a good God. You know, often people, don't they, 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 they struggle to understand how God can be both angry and good. How he can be angry and, and, and good as, as if they were opposite attributes. But when you start to really inspect anger, when you start to understand what anger is, you begin to understand that God's anger towards sin is not in opposition to his goodness, but rather it is an expression of his goodness. Right? A God who is just is angry at the injustice of racism and slavery and murder and genocide. A God who is good is angry at evil. In fact, a God who is not angry at evil is not good at all, but is himself evil. The Christ City, as we read our Bibles, the God of the Bible is a consuming fire. A God who is holy, whose anger is kindled against the evil of the world, justly so that he faces injustice with a fury. And for the, for, the, for the people that try and draw a distinction between the so-called angry God of the Old Testament and then, you know, kind, loving Jesus, we even find in Jesus, as we look at the Gospels, that there are moments where he displays anger. B.B. Warfield, in a famous essay called The Emotional Life of Our Lord, which uh, reflects on the emotional life of Jesus, he, he, he looks at the times where Jesus displays anger. And he says this, he says, it would be impossible for a moral being to stand in the presence of perceived wrong, indifferent and unmoved. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying that it would be impossible for Jesus, if in fact he is good, to see evil injustice, evil and injustice before him and, and to be indifferent towards it, to be unmoved by it. But because Jesus is good. He is moved against it. He is moved against it. 
So anger then is not necessarily wrong, but it is a God-given capacity that each of us has both to sense injustice and to provoke a response in us against injustice. In a way, we might say that reflects the character and the nature of God himself. And so here's the question for us. Why then is anger, as we just saw read, warned about in the book of Proverbs? Why is it warned about? Look at every instance. Go through, as I did, every instance where anger is talked about, anger is seemingly never a good thing. Why is that? We're told to avoid it. In fact, as we'll see later, we're told to avoid people who are given to it. So here's the question. If anger is a moral attribute given to us by God, why does Proverbs warn us against it? Well, there's a very simple answer, and it's this. When we, when we read through our Bibles, we see that a distinction is made. That the Bible seems to create a distinction between the anger of God and the anger of man. The anger of God and the anger of humanity. The anger of God is, is, is always described as completely righteous. But the anger of man in the book of James, it says, does not produce the righteousness of God. And so, so what we see in our Bibles is that the emotion of anger has the possibility to be expressed both righteously, yes, but in the hands of sinful men and women like you and like me, more often than not, it is expressed sinfully. More often than not, anger is expressed sinfully. Or in the language of the book of Proverbs, there is an anger that is an expression of wisdom and there is an anger that is an expression of the fool, of the fool. So, why is the anger of man to be avoided? Why does it not produce the righteousness of God in us? There's two guys, J. Alistair Groves and Winston T. Smith, uh, in their book, Untangling Emotions, which is an interesting book that deals with the necessity and the complexity of our God-given feelings. Very interesting book. They have a chapter on anger, and they say this. They say that sinful anger seizes the moral high ground. But it is a high ground manufactured by our own sovereign preferences. Make no mistake, the pull of anger is strong. Anger offers the intoxicating experience of playing God, of being lawgiver, judge, and jury, and ordering the world according to what I like, according to what you like. What they're saying here is that sinful anger, the anger of man, is usually not in response to real injustice, but rather it is provoked in us by our own misguided, selfish preferences. Do you see that? That, that we become the judge. And, and what, what happens as a result is we elevate our inconveniences to the level and the status of injustices. Right? So we say, I, I want this. Or I deserve this, I should have this. I want the world to, to work according to the way that I want it to work. And when that does not happen, it is an injustice rather than an inconvenience. So when that person cuts me off, makes me late for that meeting, or doesn't signal left, am I right? It's an injustice, not an inconvenience. Or, or when my child isn't sleeping because... He's obviously inconsiderate to the fact that I need sleep. That's an injustice. Or, or, or 
when the internet is slow. <laughs> and, and I can't get access to the world's information in less than a second. A fire is kindled. Why? Because the world is not ordered how I want it to be. Do you see, our sense of injustice in our sin and our selfishness is defined, as Groves and Smith say, by our own sovereign preferences. Not God's justice, but our justice. And the book of James is really helpful on this. In chapter 4 it says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying that you desire something and, and don't have that. So that's the difference, the expectation, the reality, the, the sense of justice and the injustice of not having that thing. And so what do we do? We murder and we fight and we quarrel and we... And so anger, this emotion that, that isn't bad in itself, that is supposed to be oriented against actual injustices in our sinfulness is misguided and misappropriated. And so a fire is kindled in us, isn't it? A fire is kindled in us, but it is not with righteous indignation, but rather with self-righteous indignation. How dare they get in the way of my plans for my day? Why, why do they get to have that and I don't get to have that? Angry. This is where the book of Proverbs starts to help us, I think, because what Proverbs does is it paints for us a picture of, of what this type of sinful anger looks like and actually what it produces in the life of a person. And it describes a few different types of people and it, it kind of personifies them. So you might not necessarily be this person, but you might, in a season, act like this person. And I wonder if any of them feel familiar. The first person that Proverbs describes is the hot-tempered person. The hot-tempered person. Proverbs 15, it says, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Chapter 29, it says, A, a man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Sarah and I, if you can't tell from my accent and the way that I say wrath instead of wrath, um, <laughs> we're, we're English. And um, as such, uh, it's our moral responsibility to drink a ludicrous amount of tea. And uh, that means, as a result, that me and Sarah, we boil the kettle a lot, like a lot. In fact, ever since having kids, we boil the kettle, get distracted, it runs cold, we have to boil the kettle again, we reboil it, it's very frustrating. Makes me a bit angry, actually. Um, <laughs> but about a year ago, Sarah discovered something magical. She discovered something called the Brentwood Select electric thermos pot. Now, um, this is not a commercial, <laughs> but it is excellent. <laughs> um, this is what it does. It, it keeps the kettle boiled. So if I want a cup of tea, I don't, I don't need to press the kettle and wait. I just press the button and the tea is ready. Allow it to brew, all that stuff. You see the point? The point is it's always hot. It's always hot. And this is the way Proverbs describes someone given to anger, given to anger. It calls them hot-tempered, hot-headed, 
meaning that they walk around that boiling point all of the time, so much so, in fact, that this behavior becomes almost an identity of that person. They're known as a man or woman of wrath, a person given to anger. Maybe you know this person. You don't want to be around them, do you? Maybe you are this person. People don't want to be around you. Just angry at everything. Irritated by everyone. Frustrated at the way the world works or doesn't. Proverbs says, but because they're angry, because they're running hot all the time, they don't just boil, they always boil over. Burn others. It says they stir up strife. It says they cause much transgression. Let me just say this as an aside. Um, just because you're not the type of person that displays this externally, it, this still might be you. Some of us simmer, don't we? It's happening inside. Some of us are constrained by our cultural expressions of anger, <laughs> like the British. See, our anger doesn't manifest in shouting or in violence, but in other forms of sin and viciousness, in nasty comments, in gossip, in cutting text messages that we send, expressions of our anger. Church, some of us are angry, but because we're passive-aggressive, we think we've got a pass, but you don't. It's anger, and it burns people. First, the hot-tempered person. Second, Proverbs describes the quick-tempered person. Proverbs 14 says this, a man of quick temper acts foolishly and a man of evil devices is hated. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. This is the person who's not necessarily hot all the time, but they can get there real quick, right? they're, They're like a kettle that boils quick. It takes just one slight change in environment, one slight change in life circumstance or situation, one comment from someone else. Something doesn't go to plan in your, in your perfectly organized and orchestrated world. And what happens in a breath, it goes from peacetime to wartime. Everything is fine as long as everything is fine. Proverbs says that this person, because they react quickly they act foolishly. Because they act, react quickly, they act foolishly. They're not measured or considered in their response to a so-called offense. They, they react disproportionately to the offenses committed. It's thoughtless, it's unmeasured, it's uncontrolled, it's ultimately foolish. Here's a scary thing. You know, because we elevate our inconveniences to injustices, we can justify disproportionate responses, can't we? We can justify them. We can justify our aggression. We can justify even violence because in our eyes, they had it coming, didn't they? They got in my way. They deserved it. Christy, let me say this. There is no more powerful emotion in you than a sense of moral indignation and nothing more deceptive than self-righteous anger. Nothing more deceptive than self-righteous anger. Some of the most grievous injustices are done in the name of justice, so-called justice, but really they're inconveniences that we have elevated to such a position. So there's the hot-tempered person and the quick-tempered person, and the result of both, Proverbs says, is destruction. It's destruction. 
Proverbs 25 says this, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Sinful anger is destructive. It says the walls come off. <laughs> the walls come off. We destroy everything around us. We, we get angry. And when we get angry, we're not looking for any sort of restoration. We're looking for destruction. We position ourselves as not just the judge, but as the judge and the jury and the executioner. Sinful anger destroys everything around us. More than that, it destroys us. It destroys us. Proverbs 22 says this, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Now, this is an interesting one because when I first read it, I read it as um, don't make friends with angry people so you can avoid getting burnt by them. But that's naturally not what it says. You see, it says that the danger of angry people is not simply feeling their fury, it's learning their ways. It's getting entangled into their trap. It's getting caught up in the same destructive patterns of thought and behavior that not only hurt others, but also will end up destroying you. Christ City, this is what Proverbs says about sinful anger, the anger of fools. It says it leaves a wake of destruction, but ultimately it leads towards destruction. What's the answer? If this is you, if I am just describing who you are, or what you're prone to be like, what's the answer? Take some deep breaths. Go for a walk around the block. You might need that one right now. Anger management. Let me just say, all of those might be helpful, actually. There's lots of ways in which we can look and deal with our anger, but what does Proverbs say? What does Proverbs say? Point one, the anger of fools. Point two, the anger of the wise. If you were to collect up, as I said, I did, all of the references or in Proverbs that speak about anger, there is a repeated refrain in almost all of them. In almost all of them, you will find the same repeated refrain. It says this, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. You see, in contrast to the anger displayed by the fool, the wise person, the person of understanding, the person of good sense, Proverbs says, is slow to anger. Slow to anger. Hot-tempered, quick-tempered fool, contrasted, cool-headed, patient, person, simple, you're welcome, you can go. Just don't be angry. Be cool. Don't be quick. Be slow. Easy. I think it would be wrong of us to, to read this and suppose that Proverbs is simply telling us what to do. Proverbs does tell us what to do, but it'd be wrong of us to, to think that this is what Proverbs is only doing. It's not simply telling us what to do, as if it's simply saying, rather than being hot-headed, be cool-headed. Rather than being quick-tempered, be slow-tempered. You see, there's a lot more going on in the book of Proverbs, I think, than simply tips and tricks that lead to a better, more peaceful life. 
And I think that's good news for us, church, because if I were to simply say, just don't get angry, that might, one, make you more angry. Um, but, but you might, there's two reasons why this wouldn't be helpful, right? The, f- the first is, um, you might not want to. You might not want to. You know, for many of us, we like our anger. In fact, we see its utility. We see its usefulness in, in getting us to where we need to be. Some of us, we think it's worth the wake of destruction behind us to get us to the place where we need to get. We like our anger. The second, even if you wanted to be a more patient person, it's hard work, isn't it? It's hard work. At 3 a.m. in the morning when I'm tired, it's tough to be a patient dad. It's tough. When I've had a long day at work and I come home and Sarah's had a long day with the kids and our, and our own sovereign preferences are at odds with one another, it's tough, isn't it, to be a patient spouse? Some of us might not have the desire to change, but some of us have the desire, but we don't feel like we've got the power to change. And I think this is where the good news of Proverbs starts to show. I'm, hope, I'm hopeful that as we have seen, as we've been going through the book of Proverbs, that at every turn, what it is doing is it's not simply pointing us to a set of principles to live by, but it's pointing us to a person to live for. Proverbs is not just simply a set of principles. It's ultimately about a person. You see, the power in the book of Proverbs is not simply in what it says to do, but in the person who is commanding us to do it. Let me explain what I mean by this. Right at the start of the book of Proverbs, if you remember, a couple of weeks back, we learned, didn't we, that the interpretive key of understanding the book of Proverbs as a whole, but wisdom more generally, is this notion of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, it says in chapter 1, is what? The beginning of knowledge. And the idea here is that true wisdom, the wisdom that leads to actual flourishing life, can only be found in right relationship with God, right relationship with the Lord. And, and as we get to know who God is, we learn how to live. And so, so what God does is he, he reveals how we ought to live by revealing his character to us. So if you look at the, the story of Moses, right? Moses is the one who is the recipient of the law of God. But when Moses encounters God, God doesn't just give Moses his law, what they ought to do. Rather, he reveals his character to Moses. And that's important. So famously in Exodus 34, it says this, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. These words in, in Exodus 34, spoken by God, describing his character to Moses and ultimately to us, are repeated across the Bible, Old and New Testament, to point us not simply to a set of principles, but to God himself, to the nature and character of God. In Christ City, this is what Proverbs is doing when it's using the word slow to anger. It is pointing us to God. It's pointing us to God. It's reorienting our lives back to God from whom all wisdom and goodness and justice comes and is displayed. And so as we turn our eyes to God, it starts to, and it should start to, reorder our perspective on anger. 
It does a few things. The first thing that it does is it reminds us that, that he is God and we are not. <laughs> That's all you need to take away today. He is God and you are not. It reminds us that the world was not created to revolve around you according to your own sovereign preferences. Rather, creation was made by God for God to work according to his sovereign preferences. He is God. We are not. Second thing we see is that it reminds us that he alone is judge. That God alone defines what is good and evil. And therefore, righteous anger is defined and determined by God alone. And so our moral faculties, the capacities that we have, including the emotion of anger, if it is to be rightly and safely used, if it is to be used wisely, it needs to be calibrated or indeed recalibrated according to God's laws and not ours. God is judge and we are not. third thing it reminds us is that if he is judge, we are not. Who are we then? We are judged. We are not the judge. We are the judged. Humbling. As we look to God, we see his righteous anger. And we see that that same righteous anger that hates holocausts and genocides and sexual abuse and human trafficking and pornography and adultery is the same anger that burns against our sin, that burns against your sin, burns against my sin. It's the same fire that burns against our lusts and our lies and our cruelty and our covetousness and our selfishness and our greed. Christ City, we stand not as the judge, but as the judged. So when we think about righteous anger, we have to first consider that we ourselves are on the receiving end of such anger. There's one more thing that it shows us. Finally, as we turn to God, as we look closely at this righteous anger that is kindled against even us, we see that the defining feature of God's anger is that it is slow. It's slow. What does that mean? John McKay, a uh, theologian writing about this idea of God being slow to anger, he says this, Slow to anger does not present the Lord as a frustrated deity who eventually loses patience and strikes out against those who have thwarted him. It rather acknowledges that the Lord is reluctant to act against his creation, even when it is in rebellion against him. He waits long to give the sinner opportunity to return in repentance, but he is not forgetful and will not condone sin at a time of his choosing, he will act decisively against it. What he's saying there is that there is a tension in God's anger. There is a tension in God's anger that God is righteously angry towards sin, yes, but he is slow to anger. Why? Because he loves sinners. Because he loves us. The Apostle Peter says something similar in, in 2 Peter 3, where he says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. But is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 
Christ said, the defining feature of God's anger is that it's slow, and so he is patient in judgment. Why? So that we might repent and find forgiveness. He's slow to act against sinners. Why? So that sinners like us might find redemption. Christ said, that is, that is the difference between the anger of God and the anger of man. The defining difference between the anger of God and the anger of man is that ours is quick in order to destroy, but his is slow in order to redeem in order to restore, in order to reconcile. And let me just say, this is why Proverbs, it doesn't just point us to a person, it ultimately points us to a person on a cross. It points us to Jesus on the cross. It points us to the place where we see the tension of God's anger released, where God's anger towards sin and his love towards sinners meet in the very body of our Lord. We see the anger of God towards sin in that Jesus is brutally, brutally punished. And we see his love for us in that it is him and not us. Christ City, the words slow to anger, they point us to God's anger. But when we follow the thread of God's anger, it leads us to the cross where God himself drinks the cup. Where God himself drinks the cup, where the wrath of God is poured out on Jesus and not on us. And let me just say, if we get this, it will change us. If you get this, it will change you. It will change your life. It will change how you want to treat other people. When you recognize God's patience towards you, you start to see the virtue of patience. When you realize that God's slowness gave us opportunity to be restored rather than be destroyed. We start to become people who desire to see others restored rather than desiring their destruction. Christ when we read the words slow to anger in our Bibles, this is not simply a command of how we should treat other people, but it's a reminder of how God has treated us. It's a reminder of his slowness, his patience, his long-suffering, his forbearance towards us. The call of the Christian is just simply to respond. We're called to be slow to anger. Why? Because he's slow to anger. We're called to love. Why? Because he loves. We're called to forgive. Why? Because he forgives. We are called, Christ City, to be like him. But the good news of the gospel is not just that we're called to be like him, but that he empowers us to be like him. Do you know that? He empowers us to be like him. God doesn't just show us his character. He gives us his character in his spirit. Do you know that? He gives us his spirit. So the character of God can now be lived in the life of a believer. So in Galatians 5, where Paul is listing off the fruits of the spirit, he says, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What Paul is showing us there is that this character of God can now be lived in the life of the Christian, not by our own power, but by the power that God has given us. That's good news. So for those of us that desire to be patient, you have been given by the Spirit the power to be patient. Christ said, you can't be slow to anger without the supernatural power of the Spirit in your life, but because you have the Spirit in your life, because you have the Spirit in you, He empowers us in our weakness to be patient when we are pushed. That's good news. 
He strengthens us to keep control when we feel offended. He helps us to be angry at the right things, to be angry, as Paul says, angry and yet not sin. Let me end with this. Some of us today, uh, we're feeling convicted of our sinful anger. In fact, I said the word anger at the start of the sermon and you've heard nothing else. You just got convicted. Spirit did his work. (laughs) You've just been sitting there dealing with it. Um, Maybe you've been harsh with your wife or your husband or with your kids, with a colleague or a friend. I want to invite you today to repent. Repentance just means turning from your own ways and turning towards Jesus, knowing that you can find forgiveness there and restoration. A big part of what it means to be a Christian is to be a reconciler, that we have received reconciliation with God and now we have been given a ministry of reconciliation. And so if you need to reconcile with someone today, let me encourage you, you can get up before the gathering ends. Just go do it. I'm going to encourage you that God has the power to restore what you have broken. He does. Some of us, we have been victims of other people's sinful anger. And I want to encourage you today that there are lots of practical steps that you can take uh, to work through situations. I would encourage you in all of them. But let me just say there is no more practical step than forgiveness. No more practical step than forgiveness. As I said, the gospel doesn't just give us a a picture of how we have been forgiven. It empowers us to be those who can forgive. And I'm going to end you with this. I'm going to end with this. Um, Paul says this in Ephesians 4, and I want to speak this over our church. It says this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Amen? Amen. The standards we respond to.